Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630KHOW, Denver's talk station. Like fuse and run now, brother, because you ain't got a lot of time. Over my Instagram during the commercial break, and it's amazing how many people film themselves working out. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, is this a weird time that we live in? Like, can you imagine going to the gym? And I actually, I actually saw this the other day, Super Shoe. I, yeah. I there was a girl. She had a tripod set up, and she had a guy with her, and they were. It was like they were doing a video shoot in the gym, and I'm like, excuse me, can I? Can I get this squat rack here just for a couple seconds? I mean, I, mean, I know you're trying to get your shot and all that, but just need to, just need to do a couple sets. And I'm just like, what? Is, what kind of a, like, what kind of society are we living in now? I was like, yeah. I gotta set up a little tripod so you can watch me do push-ups. Well, it's the narcissistic women who put like selfies up every single day yeah. on like Facebook and Instagram, and then the narcissistic dudes out there are exactly like where you're saying. How much you bench? Yeah. Can you see me yeah. working out? Uh, working on my lats? You know. I mean, I follow a couple because I'm into fitness, and so I follow a couple of folks on Instagram that are fitness folks but they are like big time dudes that have their own gym so when they're filming it's part of their business like it's there's nobody else in the gym but i get a kick out of the ones where you see other people walking by behind them and i'm like did they give you permission to film that (laughs) anyway 630 k how denver's talk station i am leland conway steve writes into the uh text box 577-395-77-39 uh so leland uh saki just admitted joe biden set our oil business back a year and four months after canceling the keystone pipeline yes that's a great point steve it is true uh did in fact um and we're going to talk more about the economic uh, effects of what is happening here. Not so much on us, but really how long can Russia hold out? Because there is an enormous amount of pressure from around the world on Russia. I, I was pleased that BP and Shell Oil pulled out of major multi-billion dollar deals with Russia. I thought that was that was kind of cool. It's an interesting thing to see. Like I, you know that if you listen to me, you know that I am not a fan of cancel culture. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but what we're kind of seeing, in a way, is a sort of cancel on like a global scale, right? Like, but you actually have somebody that, in this case, is attacking a sovereign nation based on lies and misinformation, and is killing women and children, and began attacking last night. From the reports that I read, began attacking um, c- civilian you know, sort of institutions, which is a, an escalation of this. And the guy's off his rocker. So canceling him might actually be the one thing that the world can do right now. So I find that fascinating. So I want to bring into the conversation my friend Abby Hall. She is uh, an expert on uh, the economy with regards to uh, geopolitical uh 
interactions of economies, right? Like not just an economist, but the things that happen when war breaks out or uh, when sanctions get levied and all that kind of stuff. So welcome to the program, uh, my friend Abby Hall from the Pegasus Institute. Abby. Well, I thought we had her. Do we not have the... Oh, that's okay. No, I I probably pushed the wrong button. Do we have her ready? Okay, all right. Abby is here with us now. It's nice to have Abby Hall back on the program. She is a senior okay. fellow at the Pegasus Institute based in Louisville, Kentucky. She studies economics and foreign policy. Abby, welcome. How are you? It's good to talk to you again. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So your area of focus in terms of foreign policy has largely been in economics, and you have to be really watching closely what's happening with the Ukraine and Russia right now. And frankly, it's it's probably a, mis, a, a misstatement to say that it's what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, because it's really what's happening with the entire world in Russia. Yes, that's exactly right. So I'm an economist by training. My background is in political economy, but with a speciality in defense and peace economics. And so watching what's been happening in terms of the actual ground war going on in Ukraine and thinking about that from the geopolitical perspective of Europe and and globally has been interesting. Watching the sanctions be put in place and people starting to pay attention to things that I've thought about for a long time um, has been interesting, though I have to say I'm really sorry that everybody is having to pay attention to it. Yeah, I mean, no one likes war. And right now we're dealing with a madman who, you know, is basically threatening everybody with nuclear weapons, which just brings a whole new dynamic to this. From an economic standpoint, what do you make of the private sector, maybe for the first time in history? I mean, I'm sure private sectors have always been involved in stuff like this, but in, in a way that I don't think has ever been seen before actually getting involved. You had Elon Musk actually providing Starlink at the request within 10 hours, which was kind of a neat thing to see the free market go to work on that, um, basically providing internet service to the Ukrainians. You have um, major oil companies who everybody loves to hate right now that are backing out of big-time billion-dollar deals with Russia uh, to distance themselves from them. And then you have a complete, essentially, cutoff economically with the rest of the world, with the exception of energy sales. So what do you make of all that? So there are a few different things to think about there. So in terms of historical examples, I'm sure that there are historical examples of companies cutting ties with with companies, none that are particularly salient in my mind right now, but I'm absolutely positive that that they exist. Um, And there are a couple of things that I think we could talk about with that. So some of that might be pure altruism Mm -hmm. on the part of some of these companies. So you mentioned Elon Musk and Starlink, people also talking about Airbnb providing housing to Ukrainian refugees. Um, And so some of that might be altruism. I think some of that, too, just in terms of um, goodwill, in terms of uh, people and companies building things up, that that could also be be relevant. Savvy savvy marketing. (laughs) Potentially. Potentially. So I'd like to like to think that people are doing this out of the goodness of their heart. But I'm also an economist. And so I understand where people's incentives are aligned. The. The discussions about people cutting cutting off Russia too um, could also just be understanding and reading the room geopolitically that being aligned with Russia right now is not a good spot to be in. Right now, in terms of Russia being cut off in a variety of different ways, except for their energy sector, yeah. is interesting for a couple of reasons. Because in terms of how it is that people would, could potentially squeeze Putin 
through sanctions. Um, it's not going to come from squeezing him personally, but it's going to come from p- applying pressure to the Russian oligarchs who then will apply pressure to Putin. Um, but the fact that energy is such a huge part of the Russian economy, so think 5% of global energy resources and 40% of Europe's oil and national gas, oil and natural gas, sorry, is coming from Russia. And so not applying pressure on that particular area is is interesting because it leaves it leaves something for people to uh, p- potentially go to but also too in terms of political palatability things like the the biden administration and frankly other world leaders too are already looking at higher energy prices they're looking at higher levels of inflation than what we've seen in the last several decades and so from a political perspective they're also concerned about how potential energy cost increases um might impact them politically. So there's a lot of different things to think about. Well, and I think the thing that's probably handicapped the U.S. more than anything else in terms of being involved in this is the fact that we have the ability within, you know, maybe a a year or so to be energy independent again like we were in the last administration, and we've chosen not to. In fact, my understanding is the president's going to double down on the green policies in his State of the Union address, which is a total disconnect from the current situation in the world in terms of what needs to be done. You know, first you have to survive, right? Let's worry about the green stuff later. First we have to survive, and in order to survive, we got to, we got to, in a sense, kind of put this guy back in his box so he's not threatening the world with, with nuclear weapons anymore. And uh, in some ways, America has hamstrung itself by cutting itself off from our own energy resources here. It'll be interesting to see what exactly the president talks about in his State of the Union address. And so one of the things, too, that people have to keep in mind is that obviously the president is still going to want to appeal appeal to his base. And so while I have every reason to suspect that we'll still be talking about Russia and what it is that Vladimir Putin is doing, and this is even if they were to just pick up and go home tomorrow. I think we're still going to be talking about it for a while. Um, But one of the things that that Biden is going to look to do is to ultimately do what politicians do and use the current circumstances to try to push the types of policies that he's interested in pursuing. And that's not just a Biden thing. That's any political official. What what do you think should be done economically with Russia? I mean, is are, is the is the world taking the right steps right now? You mentioned you sort of hinted. We're talking with Abby Hall. She's an economist with this Pegasus Institute. You sort of hinted at the fact that the energy thing is still on the table. Of course, it would probably hurt the West more than it hurts Putin. But um, are, do do you think that the way that that the world has handled this is probably the best way to handle it, or what do you think? So, of course, there's going to be lots of Monday morning quarterbacking and everybody's going to have their own opinions on this. So I'll preface this with um, the following. I don't think that anybody really has all of the puzzle pieces together right now. And there's a million and one different hot takes about what's going on with with Russia and Ukraine and the global response. And a lot of them just really aren't worth listening to. Um, I think given the options that the global community, let's say, faces. Um, None of the options are great. 
And so in terms of the different tools that you might potentially pursue in this case, I think that sanctions make the most sense. Um, now, in terms of whether or not the sanctions are likely to work, that's an open question. Sanctions have a, a really mixed mixed history. A lot of times they're applied and they aren't applied particularly well, or they wind up harming the civilian population as opposed to the government. And so that really gets to what I was talking about a few minutes ago, is that in terms of where these sanctions go, there are a couple different ways that you're attempting to apply pressure. So one is through squeezing the oligarchs who are going to again apply pressure to Putin, but then also generating uh, popular discontent among the, the Russian people to apply pressure in that way. Um, now, in terms of like the mix of those and what would be most effective, um, I might have my own inclinations that, but uh, not being an expert on Russia, in particular, Eastern Europe, um, I would just be uh, like everybody else in terms of like, well, this is what I think, but don't really have anything specific to, to point to. Don't you think... Putin is a bit surprised that Western Europe reacted as strongly as they did economically. Like, don't you think he he probably expected the most pushback from the U.S. and he hasn't really gotten it? And you know that's closer to home for him. You know, we can we can saber rattle across continents and oceans, but he's really angered Western Europe. I think they're very concerned about what's happened, and there's been a stronger response from Western Europe, I think, than a lot of people expected. I mean, it's really difficult to know what exactly Putin is is thinking about about the response. It does appear to uh, people who are well versed in, is it again, kind of Eastern Europe, and also to looking at issues related to international relations and geopolitics. This is taking longer than what the Kremlin anticipated, and so you you have that that they're contending with. Um, my guess would be is that given the fact that the last time that Putin engaged in an attempt to gain territory. So this would be the annexation of Crimea in 2014, yeah. that there was not this type of response. No. And so you have for the first time the European Union that are sending weapons to an active conflict zone. Germany, which has long resisted uh, major investment in its military is now bumping up its military expenses to over 2% of their gross domestic product. And so you are seeing this larger response. Um, now, in terms of whether or not this was expected, that's that's an open question. So one of the things that we've seen within the Russian economy over the last several years um, is an investment in uh, gold reserves. And so uh, there have been people who've hypothesized, well, hey, the only reason that you're really uh, making those kinds of financial transitions is if you're plotting something and you know people are going to be really upset with you <laughs> and try to cut you off from right. from right. other other financial instruments. And so there's there might be something there um, whether or not we'll ever actually know um that's going to be a challenge to tell um how long do you think russia can hold out economically uh it's a really tough question i mean one of the things that i think people forget is that russia is not a small economy they're the 11th largest economy in the world now i think the the different question or maybe a slightly different way to frame that thinking is how long can the Russian government hold out right. versus how long can the Russian people hold out. Yeah. And so you're already seeing things like people waiting 
hours in line at ATMs to try to draw out foreign currency. Uh, I have a couple friends of mine who are from Russia. They have family in, in major cities, so think St. Petersburg, and they're having difficulty getting uh, any kind of money out. Uh, the prices, which are currently listed, are not really reflecting the reality of what's going on on the ground. And so you're seeing real effects of the sanctions on the individual population in in Russia already. Yeah. Um, but again, whether or not those types of pressures get scaled up to the people who are actually decision makers, that's one of the things that people often take issue with with respect to economic sanctions because it's not clear that that scales up. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, fascinating stuff. Thanks for uh, giving us your take on this. I think the economic side is something a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about, and uh, so we appreciate your insight into that. Abby Hall, she is a senior fellow and an economist and a geopolitical economist at that uh, with the Pegasus Institute. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you. Thanks so much, Leland. So I think the most interesting thing she said in there was that a couple of years ago, Russia started putting some of their assets in gold. I thought that was pretty fascinating. And as she alluded to, without so much as saying it, usually that's a sign that you're up to something. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. D. Snyder of Twisted Sister apparently commenting on the fact that Ukrainians are using the Twisted Sister song, We're Not Gonna Take It, as their battle cry. He said, quote, I absolutely approve of Ukrainians using we're not going to take it as their battle cry. My grandfather was Ukrainian before it was swallowed up by the USSR. USSR, Oh, come on, Conway. USSR. After World War II, this can't happen to these people again. He tweeted that over the weekend. So uh, Ukrainians using uh, Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it. Totally cool. With D. Snyder. I uh, got a couple of texts here. 57739-57739. If you uh, want to jump in the conversation, start it off with Leland so it goes in the right text box. And then just throw us a first name. Doesn't have to be real. Can be your spy alias. Jose says they don't want to drill for oil because they don't want Trump to have a victory and show that he is right. Uh, well, in politics, you got You can never admit the other guy is right, right? I mean, that's just not possible. It's not a thing that we do in politics ever. So maybe there's something to it from that perspective. But I think that there is a – well, I think that the, the progressive left's attachment to climate change policies that are alarmist, overly so – and make no sense really has more to do with controlling your life than anything else. And that is why they are so married to it, come hell or high water. I have a suggestion, and I also want to talk about the javelins that are wreaking havoc on Russian soldiers and Russians' uh, equipment. And it's American-made. We'll talk about that next. I am Leland Conway, 630K How Denver's Talk Station. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're not gonna take it. No. We ain't gonna 
630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. So I was reading an article on uh, the Javelin. Do you know what that is, Super Shoe? Oh, I remember those from the Gulf War, yeah. Yeah, so this is uh, its made by Raytheon. It's an American-made technology. What's cool about it is that uh, it's, it's better than any other type of shoulder-fired missile system as far as anti-aircraft in the world. And apparently, it's part of what's giving Russia a real problem right now because um, a lot of European countries have them because they're allies of the United States. We sell them to them, and they are now providing them, as we are as well, to the Ukrainians. And I was there's a reporter that I follow in the Ukraine that had pictures up today of new shipments of these javelins coming in. And what's crazy about this, this is nuts, man. Here's how they work, right? So, like... You think about firing a rocket from your shoulder. Shoulder. These are anti-tank and anti-aircraft, mostly anti-tank. And what's interesting about like Russian tanks, I didn't know this till I read this article. So Russian tanks have pretty sophisticated technology to protect the tank itself. In fact, get this, and I don't know if the U.S. has anything equivalent. I imagine that they do. I imagine the Russians probably stole it from us, but whatever. This I didn't. I hadn't heard of this technology until I was reading this article. So. The Russian tanks have this, I don't know how to describe it other than to say like like an expulsory armory, armor. What happens is if you shoot the side of a Russian tank with, say, a rocket or a bomb or something like that, the armor itself explodes outward, thus sort of reducing drastically the amount of damage that the, that the missile or whatever can do to, um, to the tank. The Javelin works different in two ways. First of all, there's a radar system on these uh, tanks as well, on the Russian tanks. And the radar system sees it coming and then knows where it's going to hit and then does the ex- explosion of the armor to then thwart the, uh, the missile. The Javelin has two detonators in it. The first one is to deal with the exploding armor, and then the second one is to actually hit the tank. So after the armor is exploded, the second one keeps coming and hits the tank and blows it up. The other thing is this radar system that the Russian tanks has works best from side to side and around, like around the actual tank. What the Javelin does is it shoots way up into the sky and then comes back down at a hard angle, and it hits the tank at the very top where that radar system as well as the structure of the tank are both weakest. How freaking cool is that? I mean, that's awesome. So what's interesting is that now the other thing that we're, about this, the way that this works, is also cool. Like if you think about firing a rocket from your shoulder, think about how like, okay, rockets have rocket fuel and exhaust and it's got to take off and it's got to jump into this, all that kind of stuff, right? So this thing, what it does is it it has two different like boost systems in it. First, it comes off with a, a smaller um, sort of blast, comes off your shoulder, and it goes out far enough so that when it really takes off, it doesn't actually harm or, or get the exhaust in the face of the person who fired it from their shoulder. So they're like super easy to use is the point of this, right? Because there's not like a whole bunch of stuff all over you. You just fire it. It goes forward a little while and then bam, it fires and it takes off into the sky and then it comes back down on its target. Um, and here's the other cool thing. There's like a computer screen on the shoulder part. And you look in the computer screen and you find your target and it can be up to 2.5 miles away. So it can literally be farther than the human eye can see. And then it creates this little square around it, crops it, sends that information on the coordinates and the target 
to the warhead on the end of the missile and then fires it from there and then the warhead does its thing on its own. How crazy is that? And we made that. I'm just saying. So and it's apparently it's kicking Russian ass right now. I mean, look, I'm not saying that the tide is turning in any way, shape or form. Obviously, Russia has a lot more up its sleeve, but I think it's become pretty clear that the Russian army is a bit of a paper tiger when it comes down to it. All right. I want to get back into some of the audio here. Um, Jen Psaki, th- this is the audio we were going to play earlier. She claims that opening up the Keystone Pipeline would be longer than a year before we actually saw the benefits of it. Will there be anything in the speech to talk about reversing some of those policies, for example, either Keystone Pipeline or allowing our oil and gas companies to pursue federal oil and gas leases, even while we try to transition in the future and with a smart path to greener energy? Well, I would say, Dana, the president shares the concern about any impact on gas prices, on energy prices for the American people. And that's why a range of options remain on the table. He already recently tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, just last fall, which had an impact. But I would say but the Keystone Pipeline. Smart, it, but, but, but the impact, but, Jen, that was pretty, that was a, a blip. blip. Uh, you know, it was the, a 10 cent po- thing, but it doesn't last. But, Dana, the policies you mentioned, I, I know Senator uh, Senator Cotton and others have mentioned these, they, they are not policies that would address the issue at all. Uh, this Keystone Pipeline, it would take years for that to have an impact on that, prices. That, that's just fundamentally categorically not true. And also, we're talking about policies across the board. The Keystone Pipeline is the biggest sort of showpiece, the shiny ball, right? Because that was immediately, it's been attacked by the left from the get-go. During the entire Obama administration, we needed it. They fought it. Doesn't matter that the Army Corps of Engineers came back and said there's no better way to do this. It is environmentally sound. There's no problem here. That doesn't matter to the left. It's their it's their big uh, shiny object to represent all of drilling for oil. That's what it's about. The the idea of reversing those policies is not just build the Keystone Pipeline, as Heidi Ganahl said on this program yesterday. It's about getting tapping into those reserves that we have here in Colorado and getting open more areas of federal land to drill and drilling offshore and reopening Anwar. All of those things are what made us. The Keystone Pipeline wasn't in operation yet. It was set to go and probably would be in operation right now, but it was set to go uh, when, when Biden took over. That's added to what at the time when Biden took over, we were energy independent without the Keystone Pipeline. The Keystone Pipeline is a symbol for the left. That's all it is. We're, when we're talking about re- reversing these policies, we're talking about reversing the policies, not one pipeline. So it's asinine and it's demonstrably false. I thought it was interesting that Laura Ingram um, correctly asserts that there are way fewer oil rigs in action right now, which is part of the problem. As of last week... There were nearly 400 fewer active oil and gas drilling rigs in the United States than during the same time right before COVID hit, 2019. This is music to Putin's ears, is it not, to dovetail on from what Gasparino just said. I mean, we are subsidizing the bullets being used against the Ukrainian people. She's 100 percent correct. This is what we mean when we talk about the policy reversal. That is to get to our own oil. We are sitting on a sea of it. We are sitting on a sea of natural gas. We can provide not only for ourselves, but for our European allies so that our European allies can do what needs to be done and put Putin in a box so small that he can't get out of it. 
but they won't do it because they're married to this idea of climate change alarmism, not because they believe it. They know better. They're married to the idea because the ones that are actually pushing the idea know that this isn't about climate. It's about control. That's what this has always been about. So we have CDOT that's going to decide what land use can be, right? Like that's that, that this is a bureaucracy that has nothing to do with how you use your land that will now have the authority over land use. And if, if a city or a municipality doesn't do what CDOT wants it to do in terms of making sure that its uh, development is all in packed tight, you know, so you have to buy a condo instead of a house on five acres, right? They're changing and altering the Colorado American dream unilaterally because they want to control your life. Not CDOT in particular. They're being used by people who want to control your life. They don't believe you can make decisions for yourself. They don't believe you have the right to determine what your American dream is. They determine what your American dream is according to their lines so that they stay elite and you just become a peasant. That's the whole point of it. That's what all of this stuff is. None of this climate alarmism is real. It's all theater. If it was real, going back to what we talked about in the first hour, we would have an, we would have an incentive program. And I, look, I'm on board with this, right? Like, I, I doubt your SUV is causing any problems with the climate. But I want clean air. And I think as stewards of, the, the, of God's creation, we have a responsibility to use God's creation and to tend to God's creation such that we should leave it better than the generation before us had and leave it better for the next generation. That's, that's common sense. That's a Christian principle. That's, that's a great idea. That's, that's better for everybody because it leaves more for, for those that come after us. So if you really want to do that, you would say, hey, let's incentivize finding something that's cleaner and more efficient and solves the problem. The problem is this. If you want prosperity, if you want freedom, you have to have prosperity. And if you want prosperity, people have to be able to afford cheap energy because that's what drives prosperity. It always has and it always will. So we have to incentivize finding a new form of energy that's not just going to provide energy, but it's going to do so in an efficient way and in an inexpensive way. We incentivize that, and then we create a plan to transition to that. But none of that is happening. It's all about buying an electric car and forcing you into a condo and banning your gas-powered lawnmower and banning your gas stove so that you have to use an electric stove and you can't cook as good of meals and, and, and telling you what to do and where to live and how to get to work and where to work and all of that stuff. That's what it's about. It's not about the climate. It never has been. Now, for some people, the useful idiots of the movement – it's about climate. There, there are people that want to see themselves as superior to others because they're greener and they compost or whatever, some such bull crap, right? They're useful idiots in the movement. But the ones that are actually behind it, that are pushing the buttons, that's about controlling you and being in charge of your life for you because they're smarter than you and they make better decisions than you. And that's why they're married to this. And that's why in the most out-of-touch move in the history of presidents of the United States, we're going to have a president get up to the podium tonight, half asleep because it's past his bedtime, full of pudding and applesauce, and he's going to mumble through a speech in which he's going to marry this idea of the Green New Deal and lie to you about how it's going to save you money and somehow lead to lower inflation and somehow solve the problems of world peace. It's theater. It's malarkey. It's bull. 
630K How, Denver's talk station. He used to send me pictures of the Broadway nights, and I'd send him some homemade wine. But he was killed by a man with a switchblade knife. For $43, my friend lost his life. I'd love to spit some beach nut in that dude's eyes and shoot him with my old 45. Cause the country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. All right, so 630K, how Denver's talk station. I can't remember exactly where I saw this on Twitter, but. It was uh, an A-10 pilot that tweeted about how we ought to be teaching boys especially, but I think everybody, boys and girls, survival skills, basic field skills, you know, like how to start a fire, how to, uh, how to hunt, how to procure uh, the necessities for survival, build a shelter, hunting and gathering, all those kinds of things. And it made me think, because, and, he, and then he sarcastically at the end he was like and then we should call it the boy scout i was like yeah right i remember that exactly um because you were a, you were a boy scout weren't you yes i was um i was a member of because my dad's a pastor so i was a member of the christian version of it and i can't sure. remember it was in the nazarene church i can't remember what the name of the group was but we did all the same things it was just a christian group and we we learned how to start fires we went on boys camps uh, we hiked, uh, we fished, we, we, we learned how to hunt small game. Uh, we learned how to build shelters. We learned how to do all this stuff. Like what, what kinds of mushrooms you could eat, what kinds of mushrooms would kill you in 10 seconds, Bingo. like all those different things. We learned all those things. And I just wonder as a question, I'll pose to you five, seven, uh, seven, three, nine, five, seven, seven, three, nine. Does something like this, because you're watching the Ukrainians literally fight for their lives right now. And it's amazing, too, because Super Shoe, in the, the break, you and I were talking, and you were mentioning the Klitschko brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, extravagantly wealthy um, uh, fighters, right? Um, yeah, world and, heavyweight champions. Yeah, world heavyweight champions. And the, they don't have to be there. It could be anywhere in the world. It could be anywhere in the world. And they're, they're in their home country fighting for their home country's survival. Um, you have members of parliament. I saw one member of parliament tweeted the other day. He had his AK-47 on his shoulder. He's walking into a building. And the tweet was, we're all soldiers now. It's like, so these people are having to figure out how to thwart a major world power, uh, survive, because it's not exactly like, you know, I mean, what would happen to you if you couldn't go down to the Maverick and get a snack? What would happen to you if you couldn't go down to the King Supers and get uh, a couple pounds of ground beef for dinner tonight? What would happen? Kind of makes me wonder, like, if more and more people might come to this. Remember how they used to make fun of preppers? There was, like, a TV show about preppers. It was called Preppers. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it was History Channel, Discovery, National Geographic. I think it was National Geographic, and they would go around and follow all these people, and the preppers are all laughing right now, like, ha, 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 right? Nuclear war could happen. So I'm not, I don't know, man. I'm wondering if the, are you going to buy a generator? Are you are you going to start thinking? Are we should we rethink as a society teaching those sort of basic skills? Because I was talking to this uh, talking about this to my wife the other night. I was like, you realize if something happened, like like because what? Here's a very this is a more real danger than a nuclear war right now, and that is that we could have a major um, cyber attack that could do major, major damage to us, right? Like if we piss Putin off too much, which I don't care if he's pissed off, but I mean, the point is one of the costs that we could pay, a lot of the world's powers have uh, kind of, it's a new nuclear war type thing, right? Like we have mutually assured destruction on the nuclear side, but a lot of powers have nu- mutually assured destruction in terms of hacking systems, 
right? Like we've got stuff embedded in China's electric grid and in Russia's electric grid. They also have stuff embedded in our electric grid that could take off huge swaths of it, right, with a, with, with, with a simple hack. And that's a mutually assured destruction type situation, right? But that could happen. What would happen? What would you do if we couldn't get in the car and drive down the street to a gas station or a restaurant or a grocery store and get what you need for the day, right? I don't know. I just that tweet made me think. And I wonder it shows why as a society, the old saying that hard men create good times, good uh, times create soft men, soft men create bad times. We are living in a world of soft men. We're led in a country by soft men, and they are creating hard times. I wonder if we're ready. We will have an abbreviated show tomorrow after CU Girls Basketball, Women's Basketball. Uh, CU Women's Basketball. So we'll have that for you tomorrow. I am Leland Conway. Dan Kaplis is next. 630 KHOW. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.